Um, the greatest act of love I've ever shown to the three Mealhoff boys is watching a doubleheader of Little League Baseball. <laughs> that is an act of unselfish love out in the heat, watching absolutely nothing happen for hour after hour after hour. I remember Jeremy looked at me one time and said, Dad, sometimes I look over at you, you're not even looking. I'm like, be quiet. Dad's having a heat stroke right now. Dad's not looking at anything. So I remember taking my oldest son, Michael, he wanted to work on batting practice, so we went to this park where they had a, you know, a fenced-in uh, cage. And, and of course, when you're pitching to your son, you have an L-shaped screen that if he hits a screaming one right back at you, that it gets caught, right? So I we got to leave, I take the screen, I put it aside, and Michael says, Dad, one more. And like an idiot, I don't take the screen, I take a ball, I throw it to Mike, and he hits a fastball right on my thigh. Put me down, I, I could not stand up. And I'm thinking, I'm going to the emergency room on this. I've never been hit that hard in my life. The book of Proverbs says, a word spoken in the wrong way can break a bone. The book of Proverbs says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So, when we eventually have that hard conversation, we need to know that the book of Proverbs is unflinching in its assessment of your tongue to do great healing or to do great damage in a relationship. I think we just need to appreciate the reality of that. I, I take my kids, every once in a while we go shooting at an indoor uh, handgun range in uh, Brea because I want them, you know, they play Call of Duty, they, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want them to know what a real handgun feels like and the power of that gun is never to be underestimated. Amen. That's the power of your tongue, the book of Proverbs says. Jesus says, for all believers, eventually you'll give an account for every word you've ever uttered at, at the judgment seat of Christ for believers. So, when that conversation comes, we need to think long and hard about that conversation because it can do great healing and it can do great damage. So with the Winsome Conviction Project, we're convinced every one conversation is really three conversations. We think of a conversation as the actual conversation, that's you sitting down with your spouse, and let's talk about finances. Let's talk about the kid's schedule. Let's talk about our sexual intimacy. Let's talk about past hurts. That's a huge conversation, but that's not the only one. We believe there's a prior conversation that is equally important. It sets up the actual conversation. So whenever we work with the church, uh, we ask them to go through a five-day devotional that we've created. Five-day devotional that you go before the Lord and you ask the Lord to examine your speech, your attitude heading into this conversation. And that's where understanding, compassion, love needs to happen. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart because if you've got a bad attitude heading into that middle conversation, it's not going to work. Uh, the researcher Daniel Goldman, one of our top um, social psychologists, says emotional contagion is you have negative emotions towards your spouse, but you think you're okay because you're not verbalizing any of it. Like, you're really mad, you're really upset, but I'm not going to verbalize anything. I'll put a happy face on it. Daniel Goldman says, no, 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 no. That bleeds out into the relationship, and your spouse is picking up on it. To put it in popular language, I get a good vibe from you, I get a bad vibe from you, right? So we need to deal with our heart issues before the Lord. And uh, we're not called to tolerate people, we're called to love people. So once that actual conversation comes, all I can say is have a strategy. Like, how am I going to let this conversation proceed that we will create what we call a positive communication spiral? Now, the first time I heard about communication spirals was not in grad school. It was in the backyard playing catch with my older brother, Bob. Bob would eventually go on to play college football. We're in the backyard. I'm the youngest. He's the oldest. Think of all that dynamic. And we're just throwing the ball with each other in the backyard. Then because we're boys, we throw a zinger. A zinger is an inappropriate fastball, right? So I throw the ball to Bob, and he throws a zinger. Pop! And I'm like, ow! Now, what do I say to my linebacker brother at that point? Bob, Bob, you threw that ball hard. I, I think inappropriately hard. Like, we were making a memo. Do I say any of that to my linebacker brother? It's like, 
woof. And then he throws it to me, and I throw it back to him, and eventually we're wrestling on the ground. And my dad comes outside and says, work it out, you know, kind of a thing like that. So we want to create this conversation so we create a positive spiral, and we know how to stop a negative one. So when you're in the actual conversation and you feel like, oh, this is going south, how do you stop it and start a positive spiral? So I'm going to teach you a four-part communication strategy gleaned from the book of Proverbs. This was my master's thesis project uh, that I later created into a dissertation on marital communication. So yes, I do have a PhD in marital communication that I often remind Noreen when we're having a disagreement. <laughs> I don't say it goes well, I just say sometimes that's what I do. All right, so there's a lot of research behind this. It's all in the book, I beg to differ. But here is four questions we need to ask to organize the conversation, okay? And they're kind of strategic. They're not mind-blowing questions. Okay, let's take a look at it. Uh, next slide. Okay, now this is all based on the book of Proverbs. I love what the book... Uh, what got me thinking about this model is that I read this proverb. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. I, I love that. Yeah, they're still going to be your enemies, but we can still live at peace with each other. By the way, parenthetical comment, we need to hear that as Americans. Right? We can still have disagreements, but is it possible to live at peace with each other? Okay? Book of Proverbs holds out that hope. Okay, next uh, slide. A man finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? Sometimes in a conversation, the best thing is not to say anything. Now is not the time to say this, what I want to say. So book Proverbs is all about timing. That's what this model really tries to get at. Okay, next slide. So question number one, not earth shattering. What does this person believe? What does this person believe about uh, the kid's schedule, about uh, um, uh, how much are we saving, um, uh, how much time is on the internet, uh, do we trust each other, has the romance flamed out? I just want to know what you believe about this. I'm not judging anything. I simply want to hear what you have to say. I mentioned this proverb earlier, but I love this proverb, Proverbs 18:13. He who gives an answer before he hears is folly and shame to that person. It's folly and shame. Right? I give you the talk stage. I ask you a question. Well, what do you think about how we're doing spiritually as a marriage? Okay? Now, I let you talk. Now, as that person talks, there's going to be things that are going to be said that you're going to want to react to. Like, you're going to hear something. You're going to be like, what? Get out of here. That is not, I do that. I do that. You do that all the time, right? But it is way too early in the conversation to do that. You don't get the talk stage and then take it back the minute something is said that you disagree with, because that just sends the message right away. This is going to be a debate right now, right? And I'm challenging your facts. I'm challenging your perspective. No, we say to a person, tell me honestly what you think. What's happening? Do you see how the prior conversation is so important? It's like, Lord, make me teachable. Like, Lord, I'm kind of defensive when we talk about our sex life. I'm kind of defensive when we talk about finances. I'm kind of defensive. So, Lord, work on my defensiveness, right? So couples come to us at family life marriage conferences. Every single time we talk about finances, we get into an argument. I go, well, hey, here's the thought. Don't talk about finances. <laughs> Remember that old joke? A guy walks into a doctor. Doctor, it hurts every time I raise my arm like this. Doctor, don't raise your arm like that, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Right? So you're not ready to talk about finances. If every time you talk about it, you get into an argument, guess what? The prior conversation is not where it should be. Your heart is not ready before the Lord. Now, this number one question I get all the time is, well, okay, I'm being kind to my spouse. They're not being kind to me. Okay? I'll, I'll, by the way, Peter anticipates that in 1 Peter 3, 9, when he says this, when insulted, I do not want you to insult in response. I want you to give a blessing instead. See, isn't that interesting, right? I know that you're not doing this model correctly, but I'm going to still be generous as uh, you're the way you're presenting something. Very first question, all we do is we say, honestly, tell me what you think about this, and I'm going to really, really, really try not to be defensive. Now, that might even mean you have to take a time out. Like your spouse says something, and you're like, oof, oof. Okay, can I just take a moment uh, to maybe 
take a break, take a walk around the block, right? Now, that can't go on like every time your spouse says something, whoops, sorry, I need a break. You know what I mean? But, but there could come a time you emotionally need a break. But the very first question is, honestly, tell me what you believe about this topic. I'm really going to try to listen. I'm not going to challenge anything. I'm going to give you the talk stage, and I really do want to hear what you have to say. Now, if you really don't want to hear what your spouse has to say, then you've got to go back to the prior conversation. Say, Lord, I don't want to hear from my spouse on this issue. I really don't. And God's going to say, well, let's talk about that. Let's process that. Because you've got to get to a place where you need to be teachable with your spouse, what you need to talk about. Make sense? That is question number one. Next slide. Um, so we know <clears throat> there are two forms of listening, and if you get them mixed up, you got problems. Here are the two forms of listening. Listening to understand and listening to evaluate. If you get them mixed up, you got problems. If I start with listening to evaluate, this is going to go nowhere, and it's going to go nowhere really quick. If the first time you say something, I go, oh, that's not true. No, oh, no, 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 that's not true. I did do it a couple weekends ago, right? That's listening to evaluate. As soon as the person says something, you're like, oh, come on, that's not fair. That is listening to evaluate. Listening to evaluate is totally fair. It just can't come first. Listening to understand is like, okay, tell me more about that. I want to hear more about that, um, how you feel like I don't make time for the family. So help, help me understand that more. Now listen, at that moment, tone is everything. Tone isn't part of the equation. It's the entire equation, right? So, it, it, oh, oh, so tell me more about that. Tell me how I don't have time for the family. Right? Okay, we're done. We're done. <laughs> you don't need a PhD in communication to know that's going nowhere, right? It's like sit down with your son, right, and say, okay, so talk to me. And he's like, oh, okay, that just made me in a bad mood right away, right? So tone is everything. So I have to want to hear what you have to say, and that's between me and the Lord, right? That's the prior conversation. Okay, next slide. Remember, this is the Gottman quote. I suck it in again. Human nature dictates that it's virtually impossible to accept advice from someone unless you feel that that person understands you. So again, this is an, I want to understand. I don't understand. I'm being honest. I don't get why this is such a big deal, but I want to understand it because it, it's a big deal to you. I want to understand this. Okay, and when your self-talk starts to rear up and you're kind of like, oh, this is ridiculous. This is just ridiculous. That's when you got to ask God, I, I need work in my spirit right now. Right? Okay, next slide. Okay, question number two. Why does this person believe? Question number one is, tell me what you believe about our schedule or how we use finances or are we saving enough? Question number two is, but give me the backstory. Like, how did you arrive with this kind of attitude about finances? That was this morning's session. That's bricolage. In my estimation, that's bricolage. I want to know all the pieces that you have taken to put together to form your opinion. Uh, again, you know, for my family, we grew up with no money whatsoever. So my view is, man, when you got money, spend it. When you got it, spend it, because we might not have it. So, and, and by the way, God's greatest gift to a fallen world, his greatest gift to a fallen world, Amazon Prime, right? Oh, my gosh. And someday, sometimes two days is too long. You've got to get that now. The history of Yiddish sheep herders, it may not be around tomorrow. Right? So question number two, we're not going to go into a ton of detail. That was the entire morning session. The more I'm doing this, the more I realize question number two is huge. I got to get your backstory. And I got to be sympathetic to your backstory. I have to understand how you pieced it together. Okay. Now, question number three, traditionally, we're really bad at. Right? We're bad as Americans. No wonder it's bled into our marriages. Question number three, next slide. Where do we agree with each other? Now, as you're listening to your spouse, you're thinking, oh, my goodness. I don't agree. That was wrong. That made no sense. Right? Oh, my gosh. Right? But listen, if you go there, this conversation has been co-opted. I force my Biola students to find common ground. I force them. Right? Tell me the person you voted for. Great. Find common ground with the other person. You're a Christian? Awesome. Find common ground with a person from another faith tradition. Work that muscle, because we have lost the muscle today. No, when you listen to a person, I want to hear 
what areas of common ground can you foster with your spouse? And you gotta work at it. You, you gotta at least say, okay, we both care about finances. We both think finances are incredibly important in this marriage. Now, we're seeing it from two different perspectives. But I think we can both say we both really do care about the family schedule. We just have difference of opinion of how to arrange the schedule. But I really affirm the fact that you care about it too. Okay? We need to hang out here as long as humanly possible. Don't give a token, oh, I, I know you care about finances, but you're wrong here, here, and here, here. A person will sniff that out and say that's token. Okay, next slide. Okay, now why do we do this? Why are the first three, now remember there's four, but why are the first three questions, the first three questions? Question number one, I just wanna hear what you have to believe. I promise I'm not gonna get defensive, I'm not gonna challenge the facts. I honestly wanna hear. Question number two, give me the backstory. Give me bricolage. Help me understand how you took all these pieces and put them together, and that forms your worldview, your opinion. Question number three, listening to you, I gotta be honest with you, what you said made sense. There were some things you said that I think I agree with that. I, 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 when you said that, I was totally for that. Well said, that was a great point, and I totally agree. Now, why do we do that? There's something called the rule of reciprocation. The rule of reciprocation means, generally speaking, I treat you the way you treat me. If I dismiss something as soon as you say it, you'll dismiss something as soon as I say it. If I don't foster any common ground with you, you will not foster common ground with me. I set the tone for the conversation by listening. And remember, M. Scott Peck, one of our top psychologists, says the number one way to love a person is to listen to that person. Second, I hear your backstory. Third, I find common ground. This really works. The Apostle Paul says, what you sow, you reap. So I'll tell you a really quick story. We lived overseas for a year. We lived in Lithuania for a year, but we spent uh, six weeks in Moscow waiting to get to Lithuania. We stayed at a hostel run by a woman who didn't like foreigners. I thought, that's a weird career choice, <laughs> right? So we'd be like one minute late to dinner, she'd close the doors. We would not get dinner. So we were a bunch of us were going to go play basketball. The guys who were going to jump on the metro is during winter. And there is a Russian smart car sitting right there. You want to know what a Russian smart car is? Take an American smart car, cut it in half. You got a Russian car. An elderly man's trying to push the car. It's stuck in the snow. There's literally four of us American men walking to the metro. We literally said, let's go pick this car up and help this guy. So we literally walked over, lifted the car, moved it out, set it down. Out pops an elderly Russian woman who's yelling at us. It's the woman who runs the hostel. And we're like, why are you yelling at us, right? So we get on the metro. The next morning, every one of us gets flowers in our room. Every single one of us. And we could be an hour late for dinner. And she'd come out in her bathrobe and she'd make us dinner. Now listen, the rule of reciprocation works. Generally speaking, how you treat people is how they treat you. Not always, it's a rule, not a law. So the reason the first three are the first three, we wanna start a positive communication spiral. Now comes question number four. Do not think of question number four as, finally, I get to say the 10 things I've been holding my tongue to say. No, it may be that the positive spiral hasn't picked up enough momentum yet. So here's question number four, real quick. Uh, it's based on Proverbs 24, three to four, by wisdom a house is built, by understanding is established, by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. In Hebrew, very quickly, knowledge is like knowledge, like general facts. Understanding is how do you prioritize the facts. Wisdom is what do you do even after you prioritize the facts. Right? So we have to be very careful what to do with all the information we just gleaned. So I'd like to ask this question. Next slide. With this person, at this time, under these circumstances, what is one thing I should say? Now understand that. With this person, right, my three Mealhoff boys, depending on which Mealhoff boy we're talking about, depends on how much I can say based on my relationship with one of my three boys at this time, like timing is everything when it comes to conversations. After being married to Noreen for 32 years, she knows you, there, there are just certain things you do not say, right, before dinner. Before dinner, right, let me have dinner, 
let me have a cup of coffee, and then you can say anything. You can say, honey, half the house burnt down. And I'm like, it happens. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Okay, so timing is everything. With this person at this time, under these circumstances, what should we say? So before I bring Noreen up to honestly address some really hard questions, we feel kind of weird to do this because each one of these questions could be an entire talk, but we are going to offer our limited opinion. Now is a really good time to say the views represented here do not necessarily represent those of Hume Lake nor Biola University, okay? But, because uh, and, and the two are the most hard and we'll just try to tackle it a little bit, but there's no good answers to the last two. Okay, so with this person at this time, so you're at Hume Lake and guess what? You do talk about sexual intimacy and it didn't go sideways, right? Hey, we didn't raise our voices and we didn't get defensive. What's the one thing you should say? I would say at that point, based on this person, this time, these circumstances, hey, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. That's it. You'll have more conversations, right? I mean, if you have teenage boys, you know exactly what this is like. Right? Most times it's this. But let's say you have a conversation that wasn't like that. Now, there were 15 things your son said that were not true, were not true. And I'd like to go after every one of those. But we didn't raise our voices. So I look at my teenage son and I said, I, I was really encouraged. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. It's a bunch of crap. But thank you for being, <laughs> no, right? Know what I mean? That's on me. That's my eternal. That's my self-talk, right? But I say, thank you so much for this conversation. Let's do it again. Right? So with this person at this time under these circumstances, right? Hugh might have been a great time to say, this was so great that we walked around the lake we talked about the future, we held hands, that was awesome. And leave it there. And then the more you build a positive communications power, yeah, you can get to the hard things, okay? So I'm gonna bring up Noreen. And we, yes, Noreen, who's awesome. Uh, we are gonna tackle some questions. Okay. Under the provision, like yes. we already said. Yes. Easy to fix other people's so marriages. So we've got a handful here. Yes, here we go. How do you handle being married to such an attractive man with a... Oh, I'm sorry, I was reading into that. My bad. Let me read it. Okay, yeah, you should yeah. read it. <laughs> what if you do everything you can to work on your communication with your spouse, but he seems to be quiet, no give and take in conversation, so it seems one-sided and discouraging? I'd say you're not alone. Um, yeah. We have found, interestingly, that in marriage, opposites often attract for whatever reason. Um, and so this can be the case. Yeah. You have one spouse that is very verbal and expressive and the other that is not. So how do you work on that? Um, one thing is, and, and there obviously it says he, so I'm assuming this is written by the wife, um, don't overwhelm him and don't expect, like, I think women are trained to be maybe more naturally gifted in that face-to-face -face communication. Mm -hmm. So women want to get, we want to get together and have coffee. We want to get, get into conversation, have deep conversations, hours of it. That's not exhausting to us. But to a lot of men, that sounds terrifying. So guys yeah. tend to be more, they, they like to be shoulder to shoulder, yeah. side by side, yeah. doing things together, where women tend to be more face to face, eye to eye, having conversation. So when you get somebody that wants to be eye to eye and somebody who's used to being shoulder to shoulder, there are gonna be some yeah. compromises that have to be made. So I would say don't overwhelm him. Um, don't expect him to have the same gifts and skills and desires that you do. And maybe go for the shoulder to shoulder. Like, I would want to know what does he like to do? Does he like to work in the shop or work in the yard? Or is he creative, artistic? Are there things that you could do mm -hmm. side by side and have conversation while you're doing that? rather than making the conversation, the event, have other things. So that's why I love the walk around the lake that yeah. Hume has given us with the questions, just little prompts. 
um, there are helps that we can have in how to have a conversation. Yeah, and I would just add to that. Uh, I, I was challenged with my three boys when they go into high school, take them on a trip a weekend trip, oh, yeah. and, and talk about peer pressure and all the things you want to talk about. So my oldest son, Michael, we, we do that. We, we do some fun stuff. Now we sit down at dinner, and I'm ready to go with my questions, and I give him the first question, and he's like, one word answers. Peer pressure, what do you think about peer pressure? Mm. Woo, this is, wow. He didn't actually call oh, me I in did. the middle of I that did. trip, and he's like, this is a disaster, a I'm disaster. coming home. <laughs> so with Michael, it is shoulder to shoulder. So Michael was a basketball player, I'd, we'd go shoot foul shots. I'd feed him the ball. He literally would take about 200 shots. And as I'm feeding the ball, I slip in a question. Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, I don't know, I'd, say, I'd probably say this. And I said, oh, okay, feed him the ball, feed him the ball, feed him the ball. So ladies, I, I would say maybe two things from a male perspective. One, uh, lower your expectations. I, I don't, well, but I say that seriously. I say that seriously. Adjust, let's say adjust. Adjust, adjust your expectations. Your expectations. Adjust people, do not people do not fundamentally change. They don't fundamentally change. Can there be incremental growth? Mm -hmm. I think that's true, yes. So ladies, I do think it'd be good um, to say to your husband, hey, let's go do this thing that I know that you really like to do, and as you're doing it, I would, as you're feeding that guy balls and he's shooting shots, I would, I would have that conversation. I would say even walking around the lake with, and again, we did it, they're great, they're great conversations, questions, but there are, for some guys, I think that'd be overwhelming. I do, I think we're walking around the lake and it is like, I'm getting asked question after question, and it's like, wow. If you're playing pickleball, it's different, right? And then you, then you can slip in a conversation or two. And, and but then my other two kids, right, I could sit down with them and with, with Jason, who's leaving for Dallas, we could sit down and go right into it. So I do think this is personality driven a little bit, but ladies, men aren't socialized to do this. This is not how we've been brought up, is to just sit down over a cup of coffee and go face to face. Now I do have male friends that I can do that, but a lot of my male friends, we do things and the conversations get slipped in as we're doing something else. Okay, next one. Yes. Uh, what do you do when you're too much of an empath to the point that it's a fault? It feels overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, so I do think we create boundaries. Uh, again, this is socialization. I don't know if this is how God created us or if it's how we've been socialized. That's kind of hard to distinguish always. But I do think women have permeable... Uh, ego boundaries, which means it's easier for women to step in and empathize and feel like that's almost happening to them, which can be really overwhelming for some. So if you feel like I'm so jumping into the situation with a friend, a child, a spouse, and I feel like uh, I, I can't even tell where that person is and I start, then I think we back off a little bit. Uh, great intentions, and I would say a gift in some ways, but that's going to have to be managed because sometimes it can just feel overwhelming. Well, sure, because I mean, any gift that we have, any strength that we have in a fallen world can become a weakness, yeah. because it, it's to the extreme. So you might have the gift of discernment, but to the extreme, you're critical. So somebody that ha is gifted in this way and is maybe more na naturally empathetic, then has to be careful that to the extreme, it becomes dangerous both to themselves and the person that they're mm. trying to help. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes reminding yourself, because usually the motivation for the empath is to, to be helpful. Mm -hmm. And when you remind yourself that this is actually not being helpful, not only is it hurtful to you, it's not hurtful to the other person, it's not helpful to the other person you're trying to help. Um, and I think too for somebody that experiences this to the point where it's overwhelming, um, making choices on the front end to limit exposure. Um, whether that be, because even this, this kind of person might have trouble watching the national news because mm. it's so overwhelming what's going on in the world and they, that, and, and then they hear stories at church and they hear, so those kind of things. So sometimes the person that is struggling with that until they can kind of get a better rhythm or get control yeah. is even limiting your exposure to the things that then begin to have too much yeah. control of you. Yep. That's why I had to get out of modeling. I just couldn't handle all the... Still laughing. That woman is still laughing. 
Oh, okay. Here's a great one. Does God have a sense of humor? <laughs> you know what? New Testament scholars believe Jesus was a lot funnier than what we're giving him credit yeah. for. That when you actually know the, uh, the nuances of the uh, Greek, so when he says uh, things like, uh, you know, a uh, camel through the eye of a needle, he's actually making a joke. And you have to understand Near Eastern culture to get it. But a lot of my New Testament friends say, Jesus had a pretty good sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And I do think... Humor is a universal trait, and I do think we can look at universal traits and we can see that this is people made in God's image tend to lean in a direction. So I think God does have a sense of humor. I yeah. would agree. Yep. And I'm grateful. I am grateful for that too. Okay. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing okay, Tom. Oh, we're doing good. Yep. How do you understand and relate with your spouse when one of you has a trauma background, so narrative injury, and the other one doesn't have a background in trauma? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the things that you've been talking yeah. about would hopefully mm -hmm. help a couple like this move forward. Um, I, teach a, I teach a self-defense class. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I do that, I ask people to email me with trigger warnings. And some of the things, particularly female students, have shared, um, I, I, can, I can understand it some way, but, but to feel that vulnerable and to be taken advantage of, it, it, I can't fully get into that experience. So I need to appreciate it and understand how that has impacted a woman's life, and I think that's true when one spouse has a trauma and the other one just hasn't. I need to appreciate that this has, has really impacted this person at a profound level I probably never will get to, but I need to go at that person's pace and, and, and follow the hurt as much as that person can expose it to me. Right. Um, it does make me think a friend of mine who experienced sexual abuse as a child she recommended this, and I think it might be helpful along these lines. Um, she, there was a book, there's a book by Dan Allender called um, Wounded, Wounded Heart, Heart yeah. and it's help oh. for adult victims of childhood sexual abuse. So she read this book, and it was one of those things that, you know, sometimes you read a book and you think, that's exactly how I feel. But it said so much better than I could ever say on my own. So she went through the book and she highlighted the portions that she felt were especially meaningful to her. And then she asked her husband mm. to read the highlighted so portions. Yeah. Because she felt like he could be overwhelmed and he'd kind of get lost in this book because he didn't get it. It wasn't first person. But read the highlighted parts. And that helped him get insight into what she was feeling, why she was reacting the way she was reacting. Um, you know, I mean, you've talked about bricolage and, and bringing our histories, our pieces mm -hmm. of our history together. And this is an extreme case of that. It's mm -hmm. a part of your history that has an impact on your present. And you want your spouse to understand that. And part of it was, at least in, in Cindy's case, she wanted him to understand like what was his and what wasn't his, because he was confused that he was kind of causing these things, or that it was, for some reason, she wasn't interested in, in him, and she wanted him to understand this is bigger than just us. This is what I'm carrying with me. This is baggage that I have that has an impact on me today. And so I think helping that's your great, spouse that's understand. That's a great idea, yeah. So I teach self-defense at domestic violence shelters in Orange County. Uh, there's a Netflix series out called Made, M-A-I-D, and Donna uh, from the domestic violence shelter said, you need, watch that and you'll get just a glimpse of what women deal with in, in domestic violence. So when you're in trauma, sometimes it's hard to articulate it. Mm -hmm. If you find something that does articulate it, mm -hmm. I think that's brilliant to say, could you watch this or read this? Because that's kind of what I'm feeling. I think that's a great way to... And then something we really feel strongly about is good Christian counseling. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes yep. there are problems that creep up in our marriage that really are just too big for us to handle on our own. Yeah. And that might be, you know, marriage coaching or seeing a trained, licensed 
solid Christian professional counselor because that's what they're trained to do, is to help you work through problems that are too weighty for you to manage on your own. And sometimes a third voice can help your spouse understand the trauma in a way that you can't and can help you understand how to communicate it in a mm -hmm. way. So absolutely, we are a strong proponent of... Um, Christian marriage counseling. Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that is, of course, you're going to check that out. Uh, of course, totally appropriate to go to a Christian uh, family life marriage therapist or a counselor and say, uh, I'd like to know what your credentials are, what, how you've been certified. References. Uh, references. Absolutely, yeah. Because you're about to open your heart to a person, and you just want to know that person has been vetted. And so I, I, I think that's important. By the way, what a gift to have a couple here who for years... Uh, has met over and over and over with couples. So uh, find somebody you trust that has been vetted, and then I think that's one of God's common graces is, you know, therapy and psychology are properly, properly used. I think it'd be great. Yeah. All right. Still Sorry. stung by the modeling thing. Sorry. But I'm working through it. Sorry. Myself, myself. Um, okay, here... What is the best way to encourage Christians who aren't in church to, to attend? attend? Well, I think COVID did a number on us. I think it really did. It, it, it got us out of rhythm. And we found out that we could kind of be somewhat self-sufficient and Zoom things or just take a break. This is where tomorrow we're going to talk about spiritual battle. I, th I think this is Satan understanding we are weak when we're isolated. And what Satan wants to do is isolate us. The New Testament was always written to churches. Church at Ephesus, Church at Corinth, Galatia, Philippi. So we are strong. And when we get tomorrow, we'll talk just a little bit about Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. When Paul uses Roman armor, Rome never fought in isolation. It was always in cohorts. So you never had a single Roman soldier. You always had a band of Roman soldiers. So when he picks Roman armor... The subtext is clear. They fought in units. So he's saying you need to be part of a unit. There's strength in numbers, and I think that's incredibly important. And I think even applying some of the questions that you asked tonight, because I wonder, like, why? Yeah. If they're oh, a good. Christian, and maybe yeah. they went to church at one point, yeah. and they're not going now, why is that? Like, is it just a music style they didn't like? Was it mm. Were they hurt yeah. by something that happened in the church? Um, would a, a different church be a better fit for them? Maybe a, a small church, a larger church, resources. So just not assuming that you know why they're not going to church. It's not, not assuming that, oh, they're just not a committed Christian or they're being lazy or something. Yep. But, you know, is there another reason that they're not going? And, and we just had this conversation driving up. What does Jesus mean when two or more are gathered? God is present. Well, God's always present. There's something about that two or more. So let me give you a really quick illustration. I loved not going to church. Can I say that? I loved waking up in the morning, making a pot of coffee, sitting on the couch and watching church online. It was awesome. Um, and then we go back to church and we do live worship. And there's something about the live worship was like, Being oh, together. oh yeah. my gosh, I missed this. Even though I thought it was okay, oh, there was something about that that really... so. That's what Satan wants to disguise. No, there's something really wild happening when there's a group of us mm -hmm. here, and we, we need to really fight for that. Uh, and we just went through a pandemic, and so give people grace, mm -hmm. um, but, but we need to get yeah. back together. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We've come to weekends or events like this and leave hopeful, but old habits seem to creep in. What is wrong with you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. You just described our life. We speak at marriage conferences. So That's how, our life yeah. right how there. How do we sustain the changes oh. and commitments? Can I tell you the funniest thing my wife's ever said to me? So we speak at marriage conferences, horribly convicting. We are wife's listening. You talk about marriage all the time. So I, we, we got away from a conference. Uh, we finished the conference. We were walking out to the parking lot. I grabbed her hand. I said, I'm really sorry. I do like only half of everything I said up there. And Noreen said, half? <laughs> Right, so yes, this is a high. Uh -huh. This is an artificial high. It's awesome. Uh -huh. It's a great shot on the arm. So here's what I would say, just two quick things. Haven't spoken at these conferences for a long time. Do not overcommit. It, it would do damage. 
Don't say, let's get rid of the internet. Let's do this. Let's eat healthy. Yeah, I'll let's, never do this. Yes, I'll we'll do, yeah. right? And, and then, you know, it's just human nature, right? I mean, when you get back home, your, your email's blowing up and the bills still need to be paid and the kids are worse because <laughs> grandpa and grandma went into survival mode, right? So listen, don't, I would say this, what we do at a family life conference might be really good, is we just say, schedule your next date night. Mm -hmm. yeah. Schedule it. Because this is a long conversation. Mm -hmm. So schedule your next date night, I think Be would be before good. Before you leave yeah. here tomorrow, yeah. have on the calendar. Yep. And that can be, so, you know, when our kids were young, and it, it's expensive to go out for a date if you're hiring a babysitter and, you know, going out for a meal or something, we would do a couple of different things. We would trade with friends. Yeah, like, that was You great. watch our kids yep. one night, we'll watch them another, yep. because it can be hard. Or we would, we would say, kids, upstairs, here's a video, and you don't come down. And we would just make a cup of coffee, and we would sit and have one-on-one -on -one yep. time, and that would be the... That would be yeah, a date. A date, a date does night. not have yep. to be expensive. It doesn't have to be elaborate. But before you leave here tomorrow, have your next date scheduled. The other thing I would add to that is community. Oh, is yeah. really mm -hmm. important mm -hmm. because yep. community holds you accountable. We have a small group that we've been getting together with for 12, oh, ooh, 13, 13, 14, years, yeah. I can't even yeah. remember. Um, but we, are, we share life together, we ask hard questions, and one friend brought up a situation with a previous group from another state that they were in, and a couple just announced one day after 25 years of marriage they were getting divorced. And as they asked more questions, um, the woman shared with Deb, she said, you know what, we have not even touched in bed for the past year and a half. Mm. And Deb thought, how did that happen? How did they go a year and a half without even touching? We're not even talking like physical intimacy. They're saying like they, they kept space apart in the bed. Mm -hmm. um, and that she didn't know it. She's like, why didn't I know that they were struggling? And so every now and then it's almost code in our small group is, are you touching in bed? Yeah. Which is just sort of the code way of saying, are you guys yeah. doing okay? Yep. Are you moving toward yeah. each other or are you moving away from each other? And so group can provide, it can normalize the problems because you realize you're not the only one with these struggles, but it can also build into the healing and the accountability um, and keeping you kind of on the path mm -hmm. toward unity rather than drifting apart. Hey, let's close with this. We're going we're gonna to tackle two yeah. with um, fully recognizing there's no good answer to these two very difficult questions that are going to become more normed yeah. as our society is really wrestling with sexuality, gender. So I'm just, I'll uh, read the two and okay. because yeah. the answers are going to be pretty similar. And again, yeah. I just want to say we are not experts in this. Um, we're going to tell you what we think. It's our best thoughts about it. Um, but we are not experts, and these are complex situations. Yeah. So the first one yeah. says, we have a transgender 23-year-old daughter. Our extended family says we're not loving her if we don't accept her transformation. My husband and I love her, but will not conform in calling her by the name she has changed to. Are we doing the right thing? She will not come around us unless we say... We're okay with this change. And then the second one asks, our daughter is 16 years old. She is now telling us she's gay. She has a girlfriend, and she was raised in the church. She was baptized in March of 21. It has been, can you hold that top mm -hmm. one? Oh, this one. Yeah. Okay. Um, it has been hard for us to still show our love for her, and yet we do not agree with her choices. How do we as Christians get through this when we don't agree? So very quick before we put our two cents in, thank goodness God has given to the Christian community uh, researchers who are studying this full time. And there's two people we heartily recommend. One is Mark Yarhouse. He's probably the top Christian researcher today on gender dysphoria. He's written a, a lot of books. He can be trusted. Biola uses him all he's the time. He's at Wheaton College he's right now. He's so at Wheaton College. Wheaton. We trust him. He's, he's awesome. So anything by Mark Yarhouse, I would look at. Preston Sprinkle mm -hmm. is on the forefront. He has a podcast. Uh, he's on the forefront of how do we love the transgender community. And they're both 
strong Christian, strong so it's Christians. going to be a compassionate response with a biblical lens. Um, and not saying we agree with everything they say, but these are men yeah, that have spent resources. a long time studying this issue. So, uh, Mark Yarhouse. Yarhouse, Y-A-R-H-O-U-S-E, Mark mm -hmm. Yarhouse, and Preston Sprinkle. Sprinkle, yeah. Um, so those are some resources. One, my heart breaks. I can't even imagine facing this, and I think, yeah, it is really hard. And I think it can be very isolating for parents, Christian parents, to feel like, what did I do something wrong? Or what are my, you know, other people in my church saying about us? So not to isolate yourself and not to take blame. This is not about you. This is about them and about choices they've made. Mm -hmm. But my question also is, what future relationship do you want with them? Because you can make a very hard stance and say, um, you know, the Bible says this is not right. The Bible says this is not God's plan for you and this is not what's best for you. My guess is your children already know that, that your transgender child, your gay child, already knows what your, what your biblical worldview is on this and that you don't embrace it. You're not condoning it. You're not celebrating it. So do you want to continue to have a relationship with this child? And is it worth cutting off the relationship to stand on the biblical principle? And is it even necessary? Mm. Because mm. just because you continue to love that child, have them in your home, continue in relationship with them, you are not saying, I agree with your choices. Mm -hmm. That's not true about, I mean, our kids make choices all the time that we don't agree with. Just because we continue to have relationship with them doesn't mean that we're affirming. So I think you can be loving and stay in a relationship with them without having to say, we agree with you. Mm -hmm. And I would just add two quick things. You've got to read a book once in your life called Contagious Holiness by Blomberg, and it's about Jesus' table fellowships. Mm -hmm. He had fellowship with notorious sinners. And these were outside. That's why the Pharisees had such a problem with it. Jesus is walking around saying, I'm a religious figure, and you're having fellowship with those people? Are you kidding me? And they were furious. Jesus somehow had a way of, one, loving the person and never stop being Jesus. So they understood where he was coming from, yet he still had fellowship with them. Here's just one thing I would say. We have to be, so we've never written a book on parenting, have never been asked to write a book on parenting. But there's one thing we knew to say to our kids, and that is look me right in the eye. My love for you is unconditional. My love for you, it doesn't matter what you do. It does not, look at me, it doesn't matter. Now that is being put to the test, big time. And if we make our love conditional, They'll, they will begin to question everything we ever taught them. So there's got to be a way, and, and this is just me, and I'm not representing Biola University. I say, say the pronoun they prefer. I got bigger fish to fry, right? And if that's going to stop the conversation because I refuse to recognize your pronoun choice, then I, I want to have bigger conversations with them. And one way to maybe start a positive communication spiral is to give some respect in the beginning because I know there's some hard conversations on the horizon. And I would just simply say, if one of my kids moved in with, a, with a, by the way, 50% of people who get married in the United States live together first, and my son walked in with his live-in girlfriend, I can make a hard stance right out of the gates. Hey, come on, we raised you better than that, right? So listen. I'm not turning a blind eye to this, and she's not welcome in this house. I can do that, and I probably have kissed that relationship goodbye. I would rather find a way that my son knows where we stand. He knows it. So now I'm still going to love him and allow that love to soften his heart. What does Paul say? When your enemy's hungry, feed him. Give him something to drink. 
allow the Holy Spirit to work. He uses the phrase burning coals upon their head. But I want to, I do believe that Jesus found a way to do it. And I think we need to love without compromising what we think the Bible says, but we can't sacrifice our love to do it. Mm-hmm. Now, we say that very slowly because we don't ha- we're not in your situation. And maybe everything we just said would throw out the window if it was our one child. One thing about the, the pronouns or the name, yeah. even have a conversation with the child. Because Tim mentioned this, the, the transgender community sees about 40% um, attempted suicide or suicidal ideation. So potentially this child is going to have um, difficulties, ongoing difficulties. I want to stay in relationship with them so I can help them through that. So I would have a conversation and say, this is hard for me. I have known you as, so it's a daughter, so I've known you as her for 23 years. So will you give me grace when I slip up and use a name that you don't want me to use because this is the only way I've ever known you. So you can bring them into some of the difficulty and ask them, rather than them saying to you, which I think they're saying is like, you have to completely 100% affirm my choices, but to say, hey, can we work on this together? Mm-hmm. But give me, I'll try, I will try, you need to know this is hard for me. I'll try, yeah. I'm gonna make mistakes, can you give me grace? Yep. So let me, let me pray for you, but this is why we do it in community. This is why people, we come together and say, this is what I'm struggling with. This, what, any wisdom and about this? And find community that will support you as you walk through this. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And judgmental. Not condemning yeah, community. Not, condemning, not judgmental yeah. community, but yep. community that will support you through this. Yep. Okay, so let me pray for you guys as we do life in a crazy fallen world. So, Father, you promised to give us wisdom. You promised to give us grace daily. We, we cling to that. We cling to the fact that we're watching a world that is moving away from you and things that once seemed simple or at least obvious today are being questioned in profound ways. And children being brought up in this world are getting so many messages through teachers, through friends, peers, the internet. Um, Lord, let us be steadfast in two things, expressing the love of Jesus and holding to the convictions we believe are expressed in the word. But your word says, speak truth, but do it in love. Your word says, give a reason for the hope that is in you, but with all gentleness and reverence. So Father, it's a hard line to walk, but help us do it. We pray for the ministry of Mark Yarhouse. We pray for the ministry of Preston Sprinkle. And uh, pray that their tribe would increase as they wrestle with the really hard issues. Thank you for Hume Lake that doesn't shy away from this, but rather is a resource to have some tough conversations. So give us grace. We do uh, claim your wisdom. We pray in your son's name. Amen.